Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the team preview series is continuing to roll on. We're, we're getting close to being done, but there's a very important place that we have not gone with our team preview series yet, and that is the, uh, the good old Coral Gables, Florida end of the ACC, and that is, uh, of course, where we talk about Miami. We've got a, a guest that is re- a recurring guest, we'll call him. He's been on with us a ton of times. He is on with us once again. Mike, you want to tell us a little bit about him? He might have been our first guest, even. We'd have to go back and look. Um, I feel like it had to have been either him or Dan Rubin. Yeah. <laughs> we, it's, it's basically a uh, – we're, we're down like two or three guys from the start that are still on now. Um, this guy's oh, one gee. of them. Cam, yeah. Cam Underwood, State of the U, uh, joining us, the foremost authority on all things Miami Hurricanes football. Cam, what's going on, buddy? What is up, you guys? Joey and Mike, it feels so good to be back. You know, we've been trying to coordinate this pretty much all summer, but – you know, between uh, it's really been me, I, and I apologize to any of the listeners who are like, "Wait, where's Cam? Where's Cam?" I've been living my best life. I went to Amsterdam for a week. I went to Denver for a week uh, for vacation. My mom came down for a week and a half, and you know, just been hanging out with friends and doing lots of other things, and not hopping on this microphone with these guys. But uh, it feels so good to just you know return to the basketball conference podcast, the longest title name of any podcast I've ever been on. Um, and hang out with my good friends, Joey and Mike, and talk some uh, Miami Hurricanes football. I think it's going to be a good hour, two hours. I don't know how long it's going to be. First question, did you plan vacations to two spots that have a very similar stigmas to them? I did not do that intentionally. Um, I Long story short, <laughs> real long story short, I hated my job um, this past year. And uh, for a Christmas present to myself, I wanted to travel internationally. And that's the thing that I've been wanting to do a lot more, you know, just to get out and see God's green earth. And I've had like multiple friends who went to Amsterdam. They're like, yo, go do that. So at Christmas time, I bought that trip. And then a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine is getting married in January. And he wanted to do a destination uh, bachelor party weekend. And so the options were stay in Miami, go to New Orleans or Denver. And uh, he... I think that we chose New Orleans uh, as the group of groomsmen, but his um, fiance, I think they're taking their trip to New Orleans to be like girls trip. And then he just usurped us and was like, no, we're going to Denver. Uh, And I have, I don't know, 15 or 20 friends who live out there. So instead of just going for the weekend, I extended it for the week. Um, So yeah, I had great time in both of them. Um, And if you want to know more about that, then you could at me on Twitter at Underwood Sports and we can talk. (laughs) Cam tells all on Twitter. Uh, Highly recommend going, going check him out. All right, Cam, we do need to talk about, uh, we, (laughs) I was going to use a terrible transition there, but anyways, we're going to talk about the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, in coming into 2019, we've, we've started with most of these teams talking about the coaching situation. Obviously, this is one of uh, a number of teams in the ACC coming in with some coaching turnover. Mark Richt retires, quote-unquote, at the end of last year. I think there was probably a little more that went on behind the scenes that is probably fairly obvious to a lot of people at this point. Um, there were some, some 
pretty serious uh, unhappiness, it seems like, with him and his staff uh, at the end of last year. And I think in, in, instead of making some changes, he just kind of said, I think we're good here. So uh, they, they go back and, and go back to the well, hire a uh, longtime former defensive coordinator and, and then Temple head coach Manny Diaz. Um, Diaz had had a very lengthy, like, four to six day tenure as the head coach of the Owls, I think. It was 13. Give him some 13 you know, days, okay. All right, all right. So he had almost two weeks as Temple's head coach. He is brought in to now lead the Hurricanes where he comes back home to Miami where his dad used to be the mayor and, and so on and so forth. Mr. Mr. 305, we'll call him. Um, he, um, I'm curious to hear about this, Cam, and, and I know that there's a lot of excitement. He's been a great recruiter. He's had a, some really good defenses since he's been at Miami. But to me, I, I looked at that hire and – Again, kind of coming back to Diaz's lack of experience as a head coach, I I wonder a little bit if that was the best hire that Miami could have made or if there was somebody else that maybe with a little bit more of a, a tenure a track record as a head coach might have been another opportunity. So what was your take and I guess generally the take of the fan base on bringing in Manny Diaz with only 13 days as a head coach in his, in his career versus someone who spent a few years building a program and, and showing some sustained success? Well, you first of all have to look at the time in which that happened. It was in January. So, you know, there were not many people out there to go get. So you might have even just looked at a a Luke Fickle um, interim coach for a year just to get by kind of a thing because most of the top candidates were already uh, have already transitioned or gotten extensions, you know, where they were a la, you know, just to throw a name out there like a Matt Campbell at Iowa State. You know what I mean? Like he had just signed his extension a couple of days before that. So then you're like, oh, God, now I got to do this extra buyout or whatever, whatever. Um, so there was a little bit of that scarcity of available options. And, you know, we talked about this at State of the U since Manny Diaz was hired, that he was coming here to continue his upward progression and resurgence as a coach in search of a head coaching job. It was always assured that he would leave for a step up, not a lateral step. And when Jeff Collins left Temple, who he helped rebuild to go to Georgia Tech, that was a good stepping stone for Manny because he's like, yo, this is a nine-win team. I can come in here, you know, tough, hard-nosed city, Philadelphia. I can recruit locally, regionally through uh, the New Jersey area, whatnot, whatnot, continue to win, you know, eight, nine, ten games, and then get a bigger job. Um, and, yeah, it just so happened that Blake um, – Blake James, the athletic director, he said, look, Manny Diaz was the guy. And, you know, when you're an athletic director, you always have to have lists. You have to be prepared for what happens next. If a scandal breaks, if somebody retires, if somebody leaves. And he was prepared. He said, look, you know, if we knew in this window of 2000, the end of 18 to 2020, regardless of where he was, if Mark Rick left, we were going to go get Manny Diaz. And it just so happened that I don't know if it was 13 days or 23 or so because it was like our bowl game was in December this was in January so I mean it was like between two and three weeks that he was uh quote unquote the coach of Temple um but yeah you know Blake James he went and um made that happen really quickly um Manny Diaz was actually in South Florida where he's from interviewing candidates for the offensive coordinator job at Temple when Blake James said hey can I come by the house and talk to you took that meeting or whatever. Uh, Blake James went back to the administration, board of uh, trustees said, yo, this is our guy. We need to make an offer. We need to pay the buyout, like whatever needs to be done. So 
I think that there was enthusiasm because of the familiarity with Manny Diaz and obviously the level of excellence to which the defense has played in his tenure here. I mean, obviously, nothing is perfect. I mean, I know that there are still some people on the on Twitter and just in the in, in the fandom who are like, you know, he blitzes too much or he doesn't always dial up an appropriate blitz or, you know, he gives up certain things during a game that you would like to not see given up. But, I mean, this is real live football. This isn't necessarily NCAA 13 where you just have a preponderance of talent and you're playing on, you know, freshmen where the other team gets negative 500 yards in a game. Uh, but people want to live up to that kind of a standard. And I get it because you want to play to excellence. But in general, I think that most people are, are invigorated and enthusiastic about the hire. Uh, Manny Diaz has obviously brought – a new energy to the program, you know, he's re- or tried to not rebrand fully, but, you know, bring in that hashtag TNM, the new Miami uh, mentality. He even spoke about that after the second scrimmage, talking about killing the disease of, 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 uh, of what would he, what did he call it? He didn't mention what the disease was, but basically if things go wrong on offense, how players kind of got that glazed over look and they were like, oh, it happens again. That disease of mentality he's trying to root out of this program. And he said the same thing on defense when he got here, because if you guys remember, if it wasn't Brian Van Gorder, the defensive coordinator that you made fun of the most on this podcast and with me here was Mark D'Onofrio when he was at Miami giving up 937 yards to terrible teams. So when Manny mm-hmm. Diaz came in to be the defensive coordinator, he had to kill that. Ooh, I almost cursed. I'm sorry. I've been drinking. But he had to kill that mentality on that side of the ball. And now he's tasked with doing it throughout the entire program. So I think that many people in the fandom are um, excited to see what can happen. I mean, obviously, the question of having somebody who's never been a head coach at any level um, is something that is worth considering and discussing uh, because Manny Diaz has never been a head coach on any level. He never led uh, a workout. He never led a practice at Temple. He never led a, anything anywhere until he was back here as Miami's head coach. So there are still some things that give concern, but uh, you know, hopefully we're on the front end of what ends up being a, a great career. A la, and I mean, obviously the comparison might not be apt because this person should be a hall of famer, but you know, Jimmy Johnson had never been a head coach before he came to Miami after he was a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. So, you know, if we can get something approaching that where we're on the front end of an ascending trajectory, that would be a great thing. And that's what really the hope is with Manny Diaz back here at Miami. I think the the one thing to consider with a rookie head coach or a new head coach is you got to put together a good staff, right? And defensively, you know that Miami is going to be locked down because Manny Diaz is the guy running the team. His defenses have been good in Miami in the past, and he's recruited all of this talent to Miami already on the defensive side of the football. Offensively is where the questions lie for Miami, primarily a quarterback, but also at offensive coordinator. Dan Enos coming over, uh, former Alabama quarterbacks coach. What are the expectations for Dan Enos coming in in his first year with the program? The expectation is forward movement. Um, and improvement um, from the <clears throat> from Miami's offense. And that is a tall task because, you know, Mark Richt was very sedentary in his um, alignments. Miami has not run motion, like pre-snap motion, since I don't even know when. Um, and that's even before Mark Rick's time. I mean, with Al Golden and all the offensive coordinators that he employed, uh, Miami's been a very sedentary team. And I mean that in, you break the huddle, you line up, and then you run the play. Boom, done. Like, there's no deception, no moving parts. So, Danny Nose is trying to instill some motion and movement in this offense to, you know, 
mask things and create uh, mismatches. And yeah, I mean, it really comes down to the fact that, you know, oh, before I go any further, you need to read Bruce Feldman's piece on The Athletic, if you have not read it, about Danny Enos basically disappearing in the middle of the night from Alabama uh, and Nick Saban going through the whole uh, facility in Tuscaloosa screaming out, where the F is Dan Enos? Because there's a meeting going on and everybody was like, I don't want to be the one to tell you that he took a job in Miami, but he did. He's gone. Um, kind of a thing. He literally just like, he, he's literally just like cutting the left in the middle of the night. No, like oh. literally it was like a Tuesday night. Um, and then Wednesday come meeting time, you know, Nick Saban, you know, at his five foot three stature, Napoleonic is screaming out, where the F is Dan Enos? And all the secretaries and staffers are like, don't know what to tell you. And then the press release comes out from Miami like 37 minutes later. And uh, Bruce Feldman wrote a wonderful, wonderful piece detailing that change. Um, but yeah, uh, back to the lecture at hand, as it were. Danny knows really has to rebuild this offensive scheme. Uh, it's been it was quite poor. Obviously, we saw that over the course of years. Um, two years ago, and I know that you guys uh, were here with me on the microphone screaming that Malik Rogier was not good enough that Miami won in spite of him during 2017 while everybody else yelled at us because Miami is the best team ever and da, 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 da. and then the chinks in the armor started to be seen even by bad teams like North Carolina who was like a three-win team that year and was leading in the half you know Georgia Tech uh, no offense Joey wasn't a great team that year but uh, almost beat Miami um and then, yeah, like finally Pittsburgh was able to complete the deal. And then obviously after that, the wheels fell off because Clemson blew our brains out and so did Wisconsin. And that Wisconsin uh, Rose Bowl, Miami was running them out of the gym, running them out of our own building in Hard Rock Stadium. And then Malik Rozier threw the worst interception I've ever seen on the slip screen directly to the defensive end who was right there at six foot six, wearing a white jersey and Miami's wearing all black. And that turned that whole game. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, with all of that, the – the quarterback position has to develop and the players at that position have to develop. But the positive is there are three Miami caliber players at that position with our four Daniels to work with. So that is a big thing. Also, the offensive line has to be rebuilt. It has to be retooled and you have to use the scheme to help them out as well. Because in, if you're just going to go man to man blocking in the run game across the board, if you're going to go man to man pass blocking across the board all day, every day, all game, every game, that's not going to work. Because Miami does not have that kind of offensive line. I don't think anybody in football has a kind of offensive line, but especially not right now, the University of Miami. And that's the thing that we've tried to do. So giving them some things, giving them some zone blocking, double teaming to help out some guys, that's really what's going to have to happen. And then just really finding a way to utilize all of the skill position talent that Miami has. I mean, you got you can go literally four deep at running back. You can go seven deep at wide receiver. You can go three, almost four deep at tight end. I mean – with the top two who are definitely going to play in the NFL. The third one being Michael Irvin, the second who has taken major strides forward to be a, a competent uh, high, uh, college player. But I mean, there, there's so much skill talent on this team that Dan Enos has to work with that. You got to figure out a way to make it work. I don't care if your quarterbacks are still struggling with the install. I don't care if your offensive line is hundred percent there. That's the expectation. And so basically to come from, the 100s or the 120s in performance on offense, the goal has to be at least to get into the 50s. And that kind of change to being league average or a little bit better with a championship caliber defense in the top three or top five, that will propel hopefully Miami forward. So that's really the expectation, not necessarily to be the best offense in America, but even if the Canes are league average, I mean, like how many uh, how many Division One teams are there now? Like 130? 
So that means 65. So if, if Miami's offense is 65th this year across the board, as opposed to in the hundreds or 120s, that's such a massive change and move forward that that should be good. It's obviously not what we all want. We want to be better than that. But to be realistic, I would say that kind of a, of a change in year over year um, would be acceptable for this year moving forward. And then Danny knows staying, hopefully, laying the foundation that to build forward even further in 2020, oh, sorry, yeah, 2020 and 21. So, Cam, let's, let's keep going down that road talking about the quarterbacks because I, I feel like if you look at across the conference, every team has all these different position groups. The Miami quarterback position is probably one of the more pivotal, pivotal position groups in the entire conference, right? Like Miami getting good quarterback play versus Miami continuing to get subpar to poor quarterback play is a huge difference in how this whole conference shakes out, right? I mean, again, you mentioned all the talent on the skill positions, all the talent on defense and how effective they've been. You could honestly, in a lot of ways, you could almost think that a, a Miami quarterback doesn't have to be that good to like almost be starting to put up like Heisman level numbers, right? Like all the guys around him, if you just get him the ball and get him in space, like that's, that's all it takes. Um, so you mentioned that there's three Miami level guys in the quarterback room, right? And two of those are, are names that we, we already knew from previous years, Nikosi Perry and Sharon Williams. Um, Nikosi Perry played quite a bit last year. It was some really mixed bag kind of stuff, some pretty high ceiling, pretty low floor stuff he was showing us. Jaron Williams, we didn't see a ton of him. We've kind of heard some stuff in practice. And then Justin Fields leaves Georgia, goes to Ohio State. Tathan Martell shortly after leaves Ohio State and comes to Miami. Um, and now Tathan has joined the, the quarterback room going into spring practice. And so and we've heard some kind of mixed things about him and what he's been able to do so far at Miami. I think coming out of last year and before Martell joined the room, the, the idea was probably that uh, Nikosi Perry was the heir apparent and was going to be the guy that um, – ultimately took over as the quarterback position for Miami moving forward. But now with, again, a new coordinator with Jaron Williams in place and with uh, Martell joining the room, what are we looking at moving forward with the, with the quarterback situation in terms of who's going to win that battle? And do we really feel like they are going to give us what we need to get Miami across that, that threshold to where they are, again, a, like a very nationally relevant can kind of threaten Clemson type of program? Yeah, no, that's a – a really good question. It's a pivotal question for the Miami Hurricanes in this season. Um, and it was last year. It was the year before. Um, and even if you look at Malik Rogier's 2017 season, he set a record for the touch, the number of touchdowns he was responsible for between running and passing in the history of the Miami Hurricanes. And this is with multiple players who've won the Heisman at the quarterback position before. You know what I mean? So the counting stats are there, just like Joey was saying. Like, you can be a fringe level Heisman contender, maybe through eight or 10 weeks. If you just do the job because the wealth of talent around you on offense is so just enormous moving into this season. It really, you know, there have been two scrimmages in fall camp and Manny Diaz has said that he wants to name quarterback after the second scrimmage, which was last night, August the 10th, as we're recording on the 11th. So, we will see which way it goes. And each of the three contenders, that being Tate Martell, Nikosi Perry, and Jaron Williams, listed in alphabetical order because I've been doing this for a while and I'm a pro. Um, they each have different strengths and weaknesses on the field. And we'll see which way 
um, things go. Basically, if I were to run them down, Tate Martell, he plays a Johnny Manziel style, even though Johnny Manziel had a stronger and more accurate arm. Um, but, you know, like trying to hit some quick passes, if the play breaks down and he has to run, then he try, you know, he's able to turn a broken play into a highlight, that kind of style. And you know what I mean when I say that. Uh, so that's his thing. Um, he's five foot 11. So he does not have the, you know, prototypical height. Um, his arm is average to weak and his accuracy is average to poor. So, you know, those are things that need to get worked on. And, you know, Tate Martell, because the and the thing I love about Manny Diaz is he has made all three quarterbacks available for comment after practice twice so far this camp. So we heard them, you know, early and then we heard them last week um, as well. And obviously, you know, we'll probably uh, hear from them. I think media day is coming up this upcoming week. So we'll hear from them again. But, you know, Terry Martell, he even said, yo, I expected to come in here and have all my snaps from shotgun because that's what he does well. Because being a five foot 11 quarterback, being under center is not his skill set, is not his strength. Um, but Dan Eno said, no, I'm going to run plays from under center. So, you know, uh, have a coconut smile. But, you know, you need to figure it out. Um to, you know, to get your footwork, to get the process down from being under center. So that's the thing uh, for Tate Martell. For Nikosi Perry, he has an absolute cannon for an arm, and we saw that last year. He has the strongest arm of any of these three quarterbacks. I know that Miami fans always give me pushback on that with Jaron Williams. I don't care. If you're listening, you're wrong. Nikosi Perry's arm is stronger, period, point blank, dot com, and a story. Tell him, um, Cam. And if, you, and if you disagree, go back and watch the throws that Nikosi Perry made. Or attempted to make, and even if even if he threw an interception thirty yards down the field because he tried to make a Brett Favre throw, that's because he has that kind of an arm, and so that maybe gives him a little bit of bravado, which then is the other side of the you know to a double edged sword where he trusts his arm a little bit too much because he has a, a cannon, you know he can or did struggle with uh, preparation before the games. He was obviously. He was 19 years old and very immature. There was that whole Snapchat sexting sex video thing thing that happened last year. Um, actually, that happened last off season and got leaked or reported by somebody during the season, which is why he got suspended for a game during the year uh, for that. But that was not actually during the season. Um, so that kind of a thing. And just, again, trusting your trusting his arm and putting the ball in danger's way and turning it over are the things for Nikosi that need to improve. And I said this, I don't know if I said it on uh, on here with you guys, but it was, excuse me, readily apparent that Mark Richt and John Richt, his son, who was the quarterback's coach without any qualification, but whatever, I'm not going to digress. Those two coached Nikosi Perry to not run. And there were times when there were lanes open where he at six foot four and a record setting career in high school where he shattered records that have been set previously 20 years before that by Dante Culpepper at Ocala Vanguard high school, he would see the field open up and say, I could go, but you could see him on the field, hear Mark Rick's voice in the back of his head saying, boy, you better not run. And so he wouldn't. So it changed his game a little bit um, in a negative, I think kind of a way. So we'll see if he's able to, to improve and be consistent, although it has been reported that Nicosi Perry did turn the ball over a couple of times in the first two scrimmages of the fall. So that is a thing that still needs some work. Um, and I don't think that anybody's going to play a completely clean season, but how clean can you make it from Nicosi is the thing with him. Jaron Williams being the third contender is a redshirt freshman. The other two are redshirt sophomores. Um, 
he was an All-American out of Lawrenceville, Georgia. Um, he threw for like 7,300 yards and ran for 2,000 over the course of his career with a combined like almost 100 touchdowns between passing and rushing with only like 18 interceptions, which is pretty uh, incredible, over three almost full years as a high school quarterback in a pretty large city in Georgia. Um, Jaron Williams has the ability to make all of the throws. His arm is not as strong as Nikosi's, but it is pretty strong. He can do everything that you need to do. He has good size. He's at 6'2 and a half. He's probably at 208 or 210, but has shed some of the baby fat, really reworked his body with the new strength and conditioning staff. Um, And he's, I think, a little bit more consistent than Nikosi is, but less explosive per se. So, you know, maybe he's not going to make if you remember watching the Miami Hurricanes in 2018, if I tell you two throws from Nikosi Perry, you will be able to visualize them in your mind, and I'm going to tell you those throws right now. Third and 10 against Florida State, up the seam to Jeff Thomas between triple coverage, and then following that up with a 41-yard touchdown up the left sideline to Brevin Jordan. Those two throws are explosive, and... I think that Jaron could make the second one because that was a mismatch where you had a linebacker on Brevin Jordan and he's, you know, undressed up the, up the seam and wasn't able to cover him. I don't know if Jaron either has the arm strength or the gumption to throw that ball into triple coverage to Jeff Thomas up the scene on third in the ball game. And that's kind of where their difference is. But Jaron is very good. He's starting to see the field more. It's still, you know, in the first scrimmage, it was reported that he – threw an interception, Jaron Williams, that is, and had two or three other balls that could have been intercepted. So last year when he didn't play as a true freshman, Jaron Williams, I said that the game was a little bit too fast. It was like just a step too quick or, you know, you see the window, but the window's already closed instead of being able to, you know, see it before it happens and throw it with anticipation. I think that it's getting better, but it's not to the level 100% of the time where you need it to be for him uh, necessarily. But again, like I said, with all three quarterbacks, there are positives and negatives. So, again, I think that all three of them, given the appropriate offense or version of the offense, and Danny Enos previously said when he was hired, he has his base plays for everybody, and then he'll build out the last 20 or 30% of the offense to build to the strength of whoever is the starting quarterback. So giving them, whoever the quarterback ends up being, plays to fit their strengths would be great. But, yeah, there are positives and negatives for all three, and we'll see which way things end up going. For me, myself, personally, I have been the captain of the Nicosi Perry fan club ever since he was a junior in high school. That is my personal preference for who would be Miami's quarterback. However, that being said, I am an alum of the University of Miami. I am a blogger running a site for the University of Miami, and I would like the University of Miami to win games. So I will support whoever wins that battle, but... As you're listening to the sound of my voice, me, myself, personally, Cameron James Underwood, I would like Nicosi Perry to win the job. But if he doesn't, then he doesn't, and somebody else gets it. We talked a, a bit ago, um, pretty briefly, about the depth at wide receiver. There is a wide receiver coming in via transfer that I think could be one of the more impactful players in, the, in the conference that nobody, Cam, is talking about right now, that I think everybody, everybody could be talking about maybe six, eight weeks from now. KJ Osborne coming in from Buffalo. Talk about what kind of impact he can make. Uh, I was hoping you were going to mention Jeff Thomas transferring in from Illinois. <laughs> coming back. <laughs> Jeff Thomas transferring from Coral Gables, you mean? Um, 
So to so to uh, to answer or to close that loop first, Jeff Thomas left the team in November last year because of uh, friction between him and the coaching staff. Said he was going to transfer to Illinois, but was going to stick out the semester at Miami for academic reasons. And then when Manny Diaz was hired back, he decided I'm not going to go to Illinois because who goes to play football at Illinois? Uh, so he's back on the team at Miami. Uh, so that's Jeff Thomas, number four in your programs, number one in your heart. Um, but KJ Osborne is a guy who has already made a, a tangible impact on the Miami Hurricanes program. He's a grad transfer from Buffalo. He's original, or He went to high school his senior year at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. He's originally from Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is about 40 minutes up the road from Detroit, where I'm from. So, you know, stand up native Michiga- Michiganders. Um, but no, he, he's a guy who had almost 900 yards receiving at Buffalo last year, playing with Tyree Jackson. And, you know, he's older. He's 23 years old. He's a, a seasoned vet, if you will. You know, he knows how to go about the game in a professional kind of way. He's here to try to get more film to elevate his draft status so he can make a living playing football. And he comes at things in that that very professional kind of way. Um, so just the way that he prepares, the way that he watches film, the way that he takes care of his body, stretching before and after practice, in the ice tub, at the training room, you know, getting the massages, paying attention to his um, his diet, um, working on the jugs machine to just make sure that his hands are as good as they can be catching balls and just working on his technique, whether it's inside the frame of his body or outside the frame of his body um, to catch balls. Everything that he's doing is showing Everybody else, not just on offense, well, really on offense, because the defense, we've gotten guys drafted very highly. You know, they're, they're playing to an elite level. But everybody on the offense sees the way that K.J. Osborne is preparing and also performing because he's able to take it from the practice field to the scrimmage field. He's obviously already done it on the game field. He's a guy who comes into Miami with more than 1,500 yards uh, career receiving. So, yeah, K.J. Osborne is going to fill a, a big void in the offense Obviously, you know, losing Amon Richards last year to a career-ending injury who would have been a first-round draft pick if he was healthy for his three years, uh, that was a major blow um, just because of of the way that – when Amon Richards was on the field, he impacted the way that people ran their defenses. You know what I mean? Like, they would tilt coverage. They would double cover him. You know, just to, they had to be aware of him. And he recently tweeted that he set the Miami Hurricanes career freshman uh, receiving record in 2000 – what was that? Uh, 16 playing on a fractured fractured bone in his foot so if you still had almost a thousand yards that year so that's the kind of talent that Miami lost but then you bring in a guy who has performed yeah it was in the MAC but that's a team who played for the MAC championship a couple of years that's with the guy who's in the NFL fighting for a job in Tyree Jackson so yeah KJ Osborne is a guy who you know in the transfer portal he might end up being the most impactful guy that Miami got through the transfer portal this year. Now, there are some other guys who I know we'll talk about, Bubba Bolden, Trayvon Hill from Virginia Tech, other guys, you know, Chigozi Naruka from UCLA, who are going to play roles this year. But I don't know that any of those transfers are going to have the the role that K.J. Osborne is going to have because he's going to come in and he's already starting. That's pretty much assured, whether it's outside of the Z or inside the slot or at the X. It doesn't matter because we're, you know, moving receivers between different positions. But, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Um, K.J. Osborne and on top of that, I'm sorry, before I go down that concluding road, K.J. Osborne was the player that Miami took on offense to ACC kickoff. 
That's the kind of professionalism and, and, and maturity that he exudes where months after transferring in ahead of other guys who are known names, DJ Dallas is a known name. Navon Donaldson was a freshman All-American in 2017. You know, there's other guys on the off. Brevin Jordan, Will Mallory, you know, Brevin Jordan, who was a freshman all, or the freshman All-American tight end last year. There are plenty of other guys who you could have put up on that stage. And they said, no, the guy who is most mature, professional, and well-spoken and is going to represent this program is K.J. Osborne four months at, or six months after he got here. That speaks to what he has brought already to the table, and I'm really excited to see what he brings to the field. I don't know that he's going to have 900 yards, or it was like 892, I want to say, last year. I don't know if he's going to match that uh, yardage number just because I've already spoken of the preponderance of talent on Miami's offense. But, yeah, he's going to play a big, big major role. And he's I'm really happy that he's here as a fifth-year senior uh, just to kind of balance the room because we needed an older guy because Lawrence Cager, who would have been a fifth-year senior, transferred to Georgia. Uh, and he's a consistent, proven performer, and Miami needs that, and that will help the offense in general and especially the quarterbacks who are looking to you know increase their performance this year as well. I feel like I need a trophy right now for not making a joke about the whole professionalism maturity thing. The leader being from a guy who wasn't in the program before. Anyways. <laughs> Look, uh, you can be mature elsewhere. Can't. You had to be mature here. We're trying to learn from you. You know what I mean? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Cam, let's hit on um, – we talked a little bit about the quarterback situation and how that's a little bit of a, a sticking point right now, we'll say, and kind of a lack of clarity in what we're going to get there. We talked before coming on here, the offensive line is going to be a little bit of that way too. And and not necessarily that there's going to be a bunch of new faces. There will be some, but it's also that you're going to see some of the same faces in some different roles. I mean, I didn't get the impression that offensive line was a big issue before. So I, I, I don't know if this is trying to fix something that's not broke or what, but is this, oh, no, is this some necessary? Okay. So this is some necessary shuffling that's happening then. Absolutely. No, Miami's offensive line was not good last year. And then that impacted the ability for the entire offense, but quarterbacks specifically um, to, you know, play well. So, yeah, no, the offensive line has been I mean, it's been quite bad. Um, and yeah, so it definitely needs to change. Um, the returning starters are Navon Donaldson and G.J. Scaife, uh, a junior and a sophomore now. Navon Donaldson, like I said, he was a freshman All-American in 2017. DJ Scaife uh, ended up working his way into a starting role. He started, I think, seven games last year at right tackle. Donaldson's going back to where he played as a freshman at left guard, and Scaife is kicking inside, it seems, from right tackle to right guard. Then you have Corey Gaynor, who had a red shirt last year to maintain eligibility for the future. He's coming in. He's playing center. He played some snaps at left guard previously as a freshman in 2017. And then the tackles are really where, you know, more changes are happening because those are all going to be new players because the guys who played there previously, um, you know, left or graduated. So at right tackle, there's a battle going on between John Campbell and Kyleon Herbert, a redshirt freshman and a redshirt sophomore, respectively. Uh, Kyleon Herbert seemed to have a leg up heading into camp, but John Campbell seems to have usurped him uh, moving forward throughout the first two weeks here. And then at left tackle is going to be one of the big stories of the year. Um, I don't know if you guys are going to do a fantasy things draft a la the solid verbal guys, but uh, in terms of ACC coverage, this would be a great thing to have. Um, the name you need to know is Zion Nelson. He is from South Carolina. He was 185 pounds, 185 pounds as a high school freshman. 
He was 240 pounds as a high school senior. He was a two-star recruit committed to Appalachian State. Miami contacted him late, got him to flip. He signed and then enrolled early in January. At six foot five, Zion Nelson now weighs 290 pounds, eight months after hitting campus in Coral Gables, and seems to be the going away favorite to be the starting left tackle for the University of Miami this football season. So again, he was 185 pounds three and a half years ago. He was 240 pounds eight months ago, a two-star recruit, got bumped up to three-star when he flipped to Miami, whatever. But now he's gained 50 pounds-ish of good muscle, it seems, and he's in line to be your starting left tackle. So that is a story like that is massive, obviously, you know, playing the blind side because all of Miami's quarterbacks are right-handed. So, you know, the import of, uh, or the importance of a left tackle to the offensive line and everything. So how he performs or is able to perform is going to be massively impactful to the success of the offense this season. Now, I think it is smart to move if you're going to play Zion Nelson at left tackle, which it seems that Miami is going to do, I believe it to be very intelligent then to move Navon Donaldson off of the right side and put him at left tackle or sorry, left guard next to a true freshman left tackle, because you have a guy who's already played almost 30 games in Donaldson. You have a guy who's a freshman all American already, and he's going to be supporting that true freshman who's out on the edge. So you get that kind of camaraderie where, you know, Freshman, you do what you do. I'm going to have like my head on the swivel. I'm going to help you out. If you don't know the call, I'm going to give you the call, everything, all the sets. You know, he's able to translate and help out like immediately right there on the line. Then Corey Gaynor, he plays with a mean streak. He had like 208 ta- um, pancakes his senior year at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. So uh, hopefully he's able to play to that level. DJ Scaife, he played guard and tackle. He was an Under Armour All-American his uh, senior year uh, in 2018 before coming to Miami as an early enrollee. And he's already played in 10 games starting seven. So, or 12 games, excuse me, starting seven last year. So he's a good guy to have. And then you kick him inside to his more natural position of guard. And then you see what happens at tackle uh, between Campbell, it looks like, or Herbert, um, who might not be living up to his, you know, four-star pedigree from American Heritage years ago. So, yeah, you know, reworking the line is necessary. Obviously, uh, and Navon Donaldson and DJ Scaife, they played next to each other on the right side last year. So Donaldson played right guard. Well, he started a tackle, kicked into guard, and then Scaife took over a tackle. So, yeah, moving those guys to interior positions, I think, helps everybody, and it settles them. So you kind of have that mix of a new guy versus a guy who's been there. And, that whole five has pretty much not changed from left to right, um, except for, you know, basically flipping a Herbert out and then uh, Campbell in at right tackle. So, yeah, you know, the offensive line does need to develop. Um, it was not good enough before. Um, Butch Berry comes in to Coral Gables. He had worked with Dan Enos at Central Michigan previously as a tight ends coach for a few years and then offensive line coach. He excuse me, spent the last five years as an offensive line assistant coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFL. So he has that kind of coaching pedigree. Uh, And it's a big lift for him. But it seems that, you know, slowly but surely things are getting better. But yeah, recasting a couple of guys back to their better roles at guard and then finding those new performers out at tackle and then just bringing in a gainer at center who, you know, has the aptitude and a physical ability, but just redshirted last year to save him for the future. I think that hopefully that should, again, just for progression at quarterback, that should be progression along the offensive line as well. Can we talked a little bit about the the skill position talent, in particular the the wide receivers and the tight ends. What, one of the things I do want to hit on really quick is at the running back position. 
And one of the things that we saw a couple of years ago was that Mark Walton was absolutely dominant as a sledgehammer, you know, bell cow back kind of guy. Um, and that Travis Homer was having a lot of success as a, you know, kind of a change of pace could, you know, be pretty explosive, catching the ball out of the backfield, you know, doing some of those things. When Walton went down, Travis Homer did not was not as consistently successful, we'll say, as he was when he was more of a change of pace guy. I, I don't know that he was built to be a, a bell cow back kind of guy. Fast forward here. Now, Homer's been drafted. Um, his, his backup last year, the second string, you know, guy that we saw a bunch of was DJ Dallas. It feels like a bit of the same thing. Is I, I don't know that he is built to be a, a consistent, quote-unquote, bell cow back kind of guy for a, a full 12, 13, 14-game schedule. I, I know that he comes back. He's kind of the leading rusher coming back. I know that there's also Cameron Davis and a few guys still in the in the room that can maybe take up that mantle. But is there is there one guy that we're really looking at that's going to take up that, quote, bell cow back kind of role? Or is it going to be a lot more, again, getting the ball in space and, and kind of being a little more sparing about how these guys are being used? Before I answer that, the first thing that you should know is Cameron Davis changed his last name to Harris to honor his father, I believe. So that's Cameron Harris, number 23, the running back now. Damn you, CFPstats.com. No, they didn't get that memo and everything. We did write about it, but I mean, I get it. Uh, yeah, he wasn't the artist formerly known as Cameron Davis is now known as Cameron Harris. So if you talk here is talking about him, don't think that we got a new player. Same guy, new name. Um, to answer the question directly, no, I don't think that anybody is going to be that bell cow back that Adrian Peterson, you know, give it to him 32 times, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, um, Herschel Walker kind of guy. I think that the game of football has changed from that. And then the guys who are in the quarterback room or sorry, running back room for the university of Miami have, don't have that physical build or skill set either. So since they don't, then we're not going to do that. So yeah, between DJ Dallas, who is a slash player, I mean, he's going to play some slot, you know, he can catch the ball. He was a four-star athlete coming out of high school. He played quarterback, running back, cornerback, safety, wide receiver, all in high school. And I have the film to back that up. Um, He's one of the best pass receivers that you'll see as a running back because he worked at, at wide receiver his first week and a half at Miami before somebody got injured and then he transferred or changed positions back to running back. So, you know, he has a multifaceted skill set. So he's going to run the ball, also catch it out of the backfield and out of the slot. Cameron Harris is a nice, you know, addition to the running game as well. So you can think of them as 1A and 1B. We're not going to ride one for 35 carries and one for five. We'll split it 20-20 if need to be. You know, on top of that, you have Robert Burns, who five years ago put on a an absolute show at the Nike Regional, the Nike Opening Regional down here in South Florida. He had, to that point, the highest athletic testing score in the history of Spark athletic testing scores. And this is with other guys who are college football superstars, other guys who have been first-round NFL draft picks at the same combine, and all the assembled writers there, myself included, stopped watching these other older guys to go find out who this freshman rising sophomore was who was putting on a show. He's been injury-prone to the max since that day, basically. Um, but he's 5'10", 227 pounds, and has the physicality to still be that four-star kind of recruit that he was early in his career. And if he's able to play, you know, and not get injured, that's the bigger back that Miami needs or could use in their scheme. 
And then a guy who it's crazy that he's the fourth running back that I'm mentioning, but Lorenzo Lingard is the prototype. If you're looking for a bell cow back, he's six foot one, 210 pounds with bulging biceps and like track speed. Literally, he was a three time or two time state champion in the, the 110 uh, high hurdles in the state of Florida. Like this is a guy who if you give him a crease, he's gone, you know, and he looks like Herschel Walker and has the speed of, you know, Willis McGahee, who was one of the fastest running backs to have ever played at the University of Miami. So with those four guys at running back, you know, and hopefully, you know, we'll see how Lingard is able to uh, return after suffering a knee injury in, um, in, in a practice midway through the season last year. That's four options where you don't have to pick one and just only use them. You can ride the hot hand if you're hot, but also rotate through and see who's healthy and, you know, um, not tired, if you will. You know, you don't have to give a guy eight carries on a drive. You can rotate that out. So, yeah, Miami does have a wealth of talent in the in the running back room from DJ Dallas to Cam Harris to Robert Burns to Lorenzo Lingard. And then, you know, Miami got the number one fullback in the 2018 recruiting class and Realist George from Pace Academy in Atlanta. And it seems like Miami's going to run some I-formation things with a lead blocker. So, you know, you, you can't really get much better uh, than the number one fullback in the recruiting class. So even from fullback going to running back, there's a wealth of talent in the backfield. Let's flip it over to defense, Cam. And I think it's going to be a little bit quicker discussion on defense side of the ball just because the defense was the strength of Miami last year and quite frankly has been the strength of Miami for a number of years now. I expect it to continue to be so now that Manny Diaz even though Manny Diaz is now the head coach and, and not necessarily quote unquote calling the plays on defense, right? But on the defensive side of the ball, the defensive line is obviously a strength. The linebacking core obviously a strength. You're losing a few guys in the secondary, but on the defensive line, there's one guy in particular I want you to reference in your answer, and you know why, and that's Trayvon Hill coming over from Virginia Tech. And of course, I am a Hokie, so I'm curious what kind of impact he's going to have. Um, I know obviously he had to graduate from tech first and then come over to Miami this summer. So I'm curious with him not being on campus as long as some of the other guys in that room on the defensive line, uh, whether or not he'll, he'll be starting right away or if he's a guy who we should expect to see in the rotation early and, and what kind of role he's going to have. Um, and then just kind of the defense as a whole here uh, as a, they move into the Manny Diaz era as a head coach rather than the defensive coordinator. No, really good questions both, obviously. Uh, let me start with Trayvon Hill uh, in the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, Trayvon Hill had the highest havoc rate for any individual player through his time playing at Virginia Tech last year. That's the most tackles for loss combined with sacks and things like that. So he gets up the field and he makes plays, which is the number one tenant of a Manny Diaz, now Blake Baker defense. So I 100% believe that he's going to play play a big role. Uh, he's a fifth-year senior, so you know this is a money year for him as well because you know he's trying to get drafted. Um, and you know I was listening to a, a podcast, I forget who it was, but talking about the uh, – the motivation of a player when there's a contract on the line, um, whether it's in college going to the pros or in the pros looking for, you know, a free agent kind of a deal, that intangible motivation is massive. And I think that Trayvon Hill has that. Um, and he has a skill set to play here in this scheme and play well. Um, just because he did have to stay at Virginia Tech and graduate before he came down here, he's not been here since January. He only got here in June, I want to say. I don't think that Trayvon Hill is going to start from day one. 
I believe that that's going to probably be Jonathan Garvin, a potential first-round draft pick, and then Scott Patchen, a fifth-year senior who's been a little bit injury-prone but has talent uh, and is a Miami legacy. His father played offensive line here. His brother decided to go to the University of Florida like a dum-dum, but whatever. Um, so those two are probably going to start, and then Trayvon Hill is going to come off the bench along with Gregory Russo and then maybe a Jafari Harvey at defensive end. But, yeah, Trayvon Hill is going to play a major role for this team in 2019 and i told you off air before we started uh, recording i think that trayvon hill probably ends up starting by or playing starter level snaps i would say end of september or you know uh october something like that so yeah he's going to be a guy wearing number 94 whose name you're going to hear called for the university of miami plenty of times this year the defense in general is going to be a lot the same Miami, when they promoted Blake, I'm sorry, excuse me, when they promoted Manny Diaz, the head coach, he went out and got his protege, Blake Baker, from Louisiana Tech, who took over that defense when Diaz left from Louisiana Tech to go to Mississippi State a few years ago. Um, and he'd been running that defense ever since. He said, look, you studied, you were a position coach under me. You uh, uh, succeeded me here. Why don't you come down to Miami and then run the same defense that we've been running. Jalen Ferguson is the NCAA's all-time career-leading sack sacker in that same defense that was coordinated by Blake Baker. So you know what to do, and you know how to do it to an elite level, i.e. you have somebody who's done a specific thing on the football field more than anybody else in the history of college football. So Blake Baker came on down, and we're going to run the exact same defense that we've been running. It's predicated on havoc. It's predicated on penetration up the field and disrupting what the offense wants to do. Um, The linebacking core is the same, and you have four seniors at that level. I say four because the hybrid striker position, that outside backer safety guy, uh, counts in there as well. So you have Shaq Quarterman, Zach uh, Zach McLeod, and Michael Pinckney as the traditional linebackers. Romeo Finley, who was an absolute revelation of striker last year uh, at that second level. And then you could even rotate and put McLeod at second team uh, middle linebacker. So if you take Pinckney off or um, Quarterman off for a play, you can put him in. And all of those guys are seniors with a wealth of a starting experience. McLeod, Pinckney, and Quarterman have been starting for four years. And then in the secondary, that's where I think the real question is going to happen because you have one returning starter in Trajan Bandy from the nation's number one passing defense last year. So Gervin Hall, number 26 as a sophomore, looks like he's going to be one of the safeties. Amari Carter, probably going to be the other safety. Um, Derek Smith, moving back to safety from striker, looks like he's back at home playing that position. Bubba Bolden is a transfer from USC via a JUCO because he got kicked out of USC for off-field kind of things last year. So he's going to come in. He's going to play. He just got to Miami a couple of days ago, so he's a little bit further behind than anybody else. Um, you know, so you got four future NFL players, probably five if you include true freshman Keontre Smith, um, who takes over Jaquan Johnson's number four jersey, but he's probably not going to play major snaps on base defense this year. What do you have four, maybe five and a future NFL players at safety? And that's who needs to get the snaps. I know that Miami Hurricanes fans listening to this are like, wait, but there's number 20, Robert Knowles. Robert Knowles needs not needs to not play because when Robert Knowles plays, the other team scores. And there's a guy in Miami Hurricanes. Seems simple. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a direct correlation, honestly. At Florida State in 2017, Florida State did not score a touchdown, save for two plays when Robert Knowles was on the field and blew those coverages personally. 
Like you can look at the film and say, no, he's supposed to be here, but he's over there. And therefore there's a guy open and that's how they scored. I mean, again, I do not wish ill will upon any Miami hurricane. I don't wish ill will upon any player in general. It has just been proven over the course of time that he's not good enough. And like I said, when he's on the field, the other team scores, and I don't want that to happen. So Robert Dumbles needs to not play. Um, I don't care that he's a fifth-year senior. I don't care that he tests well physically. I don't. You're not good enough, buddy. And you know, it's funny. Brevin Jordan, the starting tight end, just put up a picture. He said, "Oh yeah, you know, like skirt, skirt. I'm working on this uh, euro step move to get around a player uh, in the secondary or on defense." Uh, right now from the second scrimmage and who are the two pictures of him going around that's right boys and girls Robert Knowles and I'm just like I just whatever I mean I know that he's there and he's a depth piece but honestly his depth needs to not be found by the secondary or the safety position because it is frustrating he's not good enough he's not good enough he's not good enough it's just like what we were talking about with Malik Rozier before it's clear as day that he does not have it despite the fact of being well built if you just line him up and you or you know, you put him in a jersey and you line him up with other players, say, yo, that guy's physical build is wonderful. Like he's, you know, 6'2, he's like 205, you know, like he has these muscles and he looks like he can run and jump and do all these things. But when the lights come on the field, when the lights go off in his brain, and I don't mean to be mean, but it's just been proven again that Robert Knowles is not able to play at this level. And so I don't. I trust him because he's shown me over the course of two and a half years who he is. I, I mean, like I said, this is his fifth year at Miami. He's played for two and a half years between special teams and defense. I don't want to see that. At the other cornerback slot opposite Bandy, it looks like Al Blades Jr. is going to start, if you know the name. That's because his father, Al Blades, you know, RIP, uh, was a star for Miami back in the day. That hit stick, bust stick, uh, talk shit. Um chant that is up on youtube that was alblades senior um so alblades jr looks like he's gonna start dj ivy a fellow sophomore is also gonna play in that secondary and all three of those guys that being ivy blaze jr and bandy will play in nickel position or nickel formation because you'll put ivy and blaze jr outside and then you'll move bandy inside to, to nickel where he played as a freshman and a sophomore um and was really excellent um there's some other depth pieces in the secondary as well hopefully they step up um excuse me, and are able to develop, but yeah, the line and the linebackers are the strength. I haven't mentioned any defensive tackles. John Ford seems like he's going to take a step forward as your number one defensive tackle. Pat Bethel, whose father, Randy, played on two national championship teams in Miami in 89 and 91. Um, he's a senior. He's like, he is to defensive tackle what Trent Harris was to defensive end a couple of years ago. Not flashy, just does his job. Nesta Silvera uh, broke a bone in his foot, so he's out for six to eight weeks, and he was your number three defensive tackle. So sliding up is Chigozi Naruka, a transfer from UCLA. Also sliding up is Jordan Miller, a retro freshman who used to be from the middle of nowhere, Florida, but he transferred to Jacksonville Sandalwood as a senior. And then there's a couple freshmen, Jason Blissett and uh, Jared Harrison Hunt from the New York City area, who also will probably move up that depth uh, chart and try to uh, take some rotational snaps as well. So, yeah, again, even with those kind of questions, because you lose a Gerald Willis III, who was should have been a first-team All-American, in my estimation, at defensive tackle last year for the yeoman's work that he did. Uh, yeah, the line and the linebackers, that front seven is the strength of the defense. The secondary is also going to be very good, but the names, are I think, are going to be different. Cameron, okay, we're running a little short on time. I want to move to the schedule here real quick. So, 
primarily the, the big thing that's going to change team to team, obviously going to be the out-of-conference schedule. And Miami starts the ACC football season this year, pretty much starts the college football season altogether this year, playing against Florida here. Uh, and that's in the, quote, week zero, which follows the weekend before Labor Day weekend. They'll play Florida. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that game's in Orlando. Is that correct? Yep. Yes, sir. Okay, so you got that. And that's, that's a pretty rough start to the season, at least from an out-of-conference standpoint. Mm-hmm. After that, Bethune-Cookman at home, Central Michigan at home, and then Florida International, which is happening in the world-famous hornet's nest known as Ricardo Silva Stadium, also in Miami-Dade County. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's Where not. Where is it? No, it's it says not. at Florida International. Right, right. But we're not playing at Ricardo Silva Stadium because it doesn't have a seat, so we're playing that at Marlins Park, which stands on the site where the Orange Bowl once stood. Wow. Okay. So that's <laughs> Florida International giving away their home field advantage on that one then. All right, fine. Yep. Um, anyways, from an out-of-conference standpoint, I mean, my gosh, Florida is going to be rough, but then Bethune-Cookman, Central Michigan, Florida International, all pretty much at home. Got to think that that's, that's three and one at worst. And, and if you find a way to beat Florida there week one, this team is sitting pretty coming, coming into the conference schedule. Yeah, um, it really does start off in um, a couple of weeks there in Orlando against Florida. So that's going to be a a tough ask uh, just because, again, you know, the offense does need to step up for the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, It's a little bit more settled across the board by the team for the Florida Gators. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, non-conference-wise, I mean, the other three teams, Bethune-Cookman, Central Michigan, and FIU, they don't have a snowball's chance in hell against Miami, just to be quite honest. Um, and then it really, yeah, it does come down to the ACC schedule. And, you know, I a lot of these games, a lot of these teams that people are, are pumping up on the, the Coastal Division side, I don't see it. And I openly say that, you know, like North Carolina in week two, that should be a win because they're terrible. Virginia Tech, October 5th, that's going to be a tough game, but Miami should win that. That's at home. The next week on a Friday night against Virginia, that should be a win because Virginia is not that good. And I know that Mike agrees with me on that. Uh, Georgia Tech is rebuilding. That should be a win. Pittsburgh's trash. Florida State's trash. Louisville's rebuilding trash. Duke is trash. Like, I don't see where – if people are saying three and four losses, I don't see where this comes from, honestly and truly. And that's – maybe that's me being cocky Miami fan. Maybe that's me just taking the orange and green colored glasses and looking at things from the utopian perspective. But – Miami just has so much more talent than the other teams on the roster or on that schedule that, I mean, even three regular season losses is too many. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it does start with that that Florida game, August the 24th uh, in Orlando at Camping World Stadium to kick things off. But, you know, even, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't see that many losses in the schedule. I mean, the schedule sets up really nicely. The offense does need to hold up their end of the bargain, though. It does set up nice. It does set up nicely, and I'm looking at – I mean, I'm looking at the schedule. I don't like Miami's chances against Florida in week one. I'm with you, Cam. I think it's a big ask for the offense. Um, that's that's a tough game, right? Like your first, your opening game with uh, an offense that you know needs work from the offensive line to who knows who the quarterback's going to be, and you're going up against an established Florida roster that's going to be a top 10 team in college football this year. That is a tough game in the opener. But after that, I do like how the schedule sets up, and I'm in the same boat as you. I think on paper, talent-wise, it, with the outside of Florida, uh, the Florida game and the opener, I don't really see another team on the schedule that I look at and I'm like, man, they're going to match up talent-wise with Miami, except maybe Florida State from a skill position mm-hmm. standpoint. But even so, like they have so many questions on offense as well. It's a similar similar issues with them, right? Offensive line, quarterback 
what's the deal at running back going to be? Uh, can Cam Akers stay healthy? Like they got the same sort of questions that Miami does on the offensive side of the football. So I'm looking at this schedule and Joey, if, if you're cool that I'm going to make my prediction right now and, and Cam, we didn't get an official one from you yet. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go back to you in a second, get your official prediction. I'm going to say nine and three. And the reason why I'm going to say nine and three is because I'm airing conservative because of the quarterback play. I got to see it before I believe it. That's why I'm saying nine and three on paper and how the schedule sets up. I think this could be in theory, if you get good quarterback play a one, maybe two loss season. Um, And I'm talking about in totality, not in ACC play. I I think that this could be far and away the best team in the coastal division. If they get good quarterback play, if they get, mediocre quarterback play but you're still able to make strides forward on offense that's where I'm seeing nine and three that's when I'm seeing okay you have a couple tough games right you got Virginia and Virginia Tech who could both be okay and and could be contenders in the coastal division which it's albeit weak but you know those are two games that Miami gets at home you got Duke on, on the road at the end of the year which is always a weird game to play. I I don't care. I I don't think Duke's going to be very good this year, but they're always well coached. And that's a tough game to play in the end of the year. You're in the doldrums of you're heading into doldrums of winter. It's just a weird game to play. And then at Florida state, it's a rivalry game in November. They got the same similar types types of issues that Miami has. If Florida state touts a good defense and they're able to get something positive out of the offense, um, now with Kendall Bryles as the offensive coordinator, maybe that turns into a game. So I'm going to air nine and three. Um, I think they lose two games in conference play. I can't put my finger on which two games those would be, but I could see it happening if they don't get everything that they need to get out of the quarterback position. But outside of that, the only certainty or, or near certainty, I guess, on paper that I can look at and say that's going to be a really, really tough game to win. It's going to be that Florida game in the opener. Because outside of that, I like Miami's schedule and how it sets up for them. I look at this and there's a there's a couple of – I, Mike, as you know by now, I love my scheduling quirks that we've been going through this, this offseason. You do. That you do. So one of the things that sticks out to me, first of all, is that so game in Orlando to start the season, then go to Chapel Hill after that. Then there's five straight home games. Miami does does not leave South Florida for five straight games. That's Bethune Cookman, Central Michigan, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Georgia Tech. Now just for the people who are living at home, that's a solid month because there's a bye week in there. Just saying. Yeah, the, the Georgia Tech game is October 19th. Right, and so that's coming after a Bethune-Cookman game. It's September fourteenth. So yeah, there's like a five or six weeks stretch there where they won't they won't travel anywhere except across town to the stadium. Yep. Right. The flip side of that is that after that, four of the last five games are on the road, and that's at Pittsburgh, at Florida State. You get Louisville at home, and then at Florida International and at Duke. So that's uh, now to be fair again, the Florida International thing. It, Technically, technically a road game, but it's like the least road game that you could ever possibly play is Miami. So there's that. Um, one of the games that sticks out to me, Mike, and that I, I think is a really intriguing one, just conference wide, is we talk about kind of what does the landscape look like. Miami does get Virginia at home on a Friday night here in mid October, October 11th. Yep. And to me, I, I honestly, if I'm looking at it right now, I think that's probably the game as much as any other that determines who wins the Coastal Division. I think Virginia's – I've got Virginia winning the division, but I think that that, that game is really going to swing it one way or the other. One of the things that I look at is that, you know, we've talked about how Miami is a, a big game town. You know, that you can get some really good uh, – uh, some really good atmospheres, you know, really good home field advantage going when it is a big game kind of thing. And we've seen that on Thursday nights in Miami. We've seen it on Saturdays in Miami, especially on Saturday nights in Miami. 
I'm a little curious to see how the whole Friday night dynamic works out in Miami because I feel like that might be a little bit of no man's land of getting some weird atmosphere. So I don't know. That's that's something I'm curious to see. Um, record wise, I think I'm going to go eight and four. Um, I'm going to say a loss to Florida. I'm going to say a loss to Florida State. I'm going to say a loss to Virginia, and I I'm up there between. I don't know. I think you. I think probably lose one of the. Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh game. Maybe, maybe Duke. Duke on the road in late November is is weird. And and Cam, you mentioned that like, yes, Miami's gonna have more talent on the field than just about anybody on this schedule, but that didn't keep him from going seven and five last year. Like we've said that year and year over end, and it's it, like it it whether or not it's true doesn't seem like it, it necessarily impacts how many games that they win, right? It's, it's not as much a talent thing. It's a consistency and a coaching thing. So, I mean, a couple of years ago, they went 10 and three last year, they go seven and five. It's so you look at me with the, you know, your eyes get about as big as a, a baseball. When I say, I think they're going to lose four games, but I, I, I don't think that that's anything near impossible. Vegas puts their win total at eight and a half. Um, and, and the over is minus minus one thirty. The under is plus plus one ten. So it's, you know, somewhat fairly even on both sides of that. So I'm going to, I'm going to say eight and four. I think that Virginia does go into Miami and and beats the hurricanes there in South Florida. And I think that's the reason that Virginia wins the coastal division. Uh, But I think Miami probably right there with them again, just pretty clearly more talented than most of these teams I'll be playing. Wow. That's yeah. No, my, the, my face was, I know was looking crazy. I know that, uh, I was displaying my flabbergastation when you said eight and four. That was not uh, what I was expecting. Cam wasn't expecting that. No, 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 definitely not. Uh, we did not talk about this before uh, we recorded either. Um, like I said, I just don't see it. If Miami does what Miami needs to do, I mean, Miami is as talented as, if not more talented than, every single team that they will play this year. Um, the only two that are except Florida. They're as talented as Florida. If you look at Bud Elliott's um, blue chip ratio, Florida's at 54%, Miami's at, or 53%, Miami's at 51 Like, I mean, there's not a gulf of talent there. It's not like it's not like Miami's going up against Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama in that orphaner, who are just have a, such a, a, a vast preponderance more talent than Miami does. It's very comparable. That's what I'm saying. So, like, Florida and Florida State, Miami is as talented as those teams. They're more talented than everybody else. And, you know, like I said, maybe this is me with orange and green glasses because that's where I got my degree from and I bleed orange and green. But I'm just going to be in on Miami finally doing what Miami Miami needs to do than what Miami has seldom done over the course of many years. So I will say 10 and 2. That's my prediction. Um, I don't think that we beat Florida, even though, man, that would make me so happy just to shut them up. but just with the offense still trying to get things together, I don't see it. Um, and then pick your loss basically throughout the year. Um, I don't know if that's going to be Virginia. I don't think so because Virginia is not very good. Maybe that's George or Virginia Tech coming off of a bye. Maybe that's Florida State because that's a rivalry game and, you know, throughout the records because – and I said this with you guys the last couple of years. If you put up blind stat profiles for both Miami and Florida State in 2017 and 18 – people would have picked the blind Miami profile team to win by three or four touchdowns, but that didn't happen in either year because this game, that game is different. 
and players and coaches for years have said that game matters more. We try harder. We do better. We, you know, bust out all the trick plays. We do all the things that we don't ever all, ever do anytime else except for Florida State Miami. So I could see that I would hate, 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 hate things if Miami went 10-2 and two in the regular season and lost to Florida and Florida State. That would sting. But so I'm not saying that we will lose to Florida State. I do think that Miami loses to Florida and then name your loss the rest of the year. But Miami wins the Coastal, goes to the uh, ACC championship game against Clemson, and then take your shot from there. But that's uh, what I'm picking. All right. So Cam is at 10-2. and two, Mike's at 9-3. and three, I'm at 8-4. and four. So, I mean, at the very least, we're kind of agreeing that this probably bottoms out around that eight-win stretch. If, some th- if a bunch of things go wrong, you know, come up short in a couple of close games, that kind of thing. But I think we well, all have I, to agree. And, 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 sorry, let me jump in right there. That's what it should have been last year. And five losses, six losses, including the bowl game, meant that people needed to get fired. And that's what we saw with Mark Rick leaving and then Manny Diaz cleaning house on the offensive side of the ball. So, like, yeah, again, if it's more than that, then people need to go. Well, and, and, and what I was going to say, too, is that we agree that this thing probably tops out at, call it 11-1. and one. I mean, if you look at the S&P Plus projections – Miami's a projected favorite in every game except the first one, right? Like they, Miami was a projected favorite in every game, period, last year, and well, something, something, seven and five, right? So, and right. and that's a little bit of where I'm coming from too. Is that like we we know that that's objectively true, and yet sometimes it seems like with Miami it hasn't mattered, and maybe maybe it will with with the the new coaching staff. Maybe I don't know, but there's there's something about it that you know. No, I hear you. S and P Plus says they should probably lose, you know, a couple times, and I'm going to say they lose four times. I, you know, that's me. I mean, and that's while I know that I was reacting crazily, just because you know I am who I am. That isn't super duper far fetched. It's not my preference, obviously, but I mean, Miami has found a way to lose a couple games that they are game or two that they should not in the past few years. So you know, going on top of you know that nine and three, basically, you know, Las Vegas projection saying, okay, they're going to lose one more on top of that. Yeah. That's not super crazy. Not at all. Mike, you got anything else for Cam while we got him on? I would just like the record to show that everybody who hates on me on social media, Cam, when I'm speaking the truth about your hurricanes, just let them know that Joey said eight and four, not me. (laughs) Let the record show. I mean, let the record show. I mean, that's a big fact right there. Yeah. I mean, you guys are the ones sitting here showing a lot of trust in an ACC Coastal team right now. So I had to split the difference. I split the difference between you and Cam. I knew Cam would go 10-2 and because I knew that he would – I somehow knew that Cam would chalk up that loss in the opener to Florida. And I said if he does that, he'll pick like one other game for them to lose. So I figured Cam would say 10-2. and I went first mm-hmm. and said 9-3. and And I figured, Joey, you'd say 8-4 and because I remember you saying Virginia was going to win the division. So – you're not going to win the division at eight and four, right? So I figured that was probably your pick. I just Mike has us all figured out by now. I, hey, yeah. we've done enough of these. Yeah, I mean, we're not new to this. We're true to this, and you know, I I will say that I have I've selected ten and two as my projection in a couple of things that I've written um, for a couple of different entities, and I will be writing that on State of the U for our season predictions as well. Um, so, like. You know, just as I said, I have been and am the president of the Nicosi Perry fan club, and I live with that. I live with my projection of 10 and 2. And, you know, there is also a little bit of 
if I say it so many times in a row, they have to prove me right eventually, right? You know what I mean? So, Speaking into existence. Yeah, you know, so I, I've been thinking about things for years and years, and they've let me down. So hopefully this year they prove me right. All right. Well, Mike, I think that's all I got for Cam, unless you had anything else. Nah, I'm good, man. Miami fans, I am at FTRS Joey on, on Twitter. If you want to come come give me some grief for the uh, the 8-4 and four pred- prediction, but just remember, there's also that uh, old takes exposed account. So uh, let me know how bad of a project- projection that is. Just let me know. Uh, Cam, this has been a great preview. Thank you so much once again for coming on with us. It is always an absolute treat having you on. Uh, the next time I find somebody that knows much, as much about the Miami program as you do will be the first time. Um, so we, we always, always appreciate you coming on and, uh, would love to, you know, love to have you back sometime soon. And if, uh, if you want to take a little bit of time to let the people know where to find your stuff, if they somehow haven't found it already, this would be a good time to do so. Yeah, man. I mean, I always appreciate you guys reaching out to me. I know it's taken a couple of weeks to sync up our schedules, but, uh, you know, you guys are, are some of my favorite people in this business and some of my good friends. So I really do honestly appreciate spending some time with you. Uh, and I thank everybody who's listening as well. My personal Twitter is at Underwood Sports. Our website's Twitter is at The State of the U, managed by myself and Deputy Editor Marshall Thomas. Our website is stateoftheu.com on facebook.com slash the state of the U. And also we have an Instagram account, which we're trying to get going as well, which is instagram.com slash the state of the U. So we have all those things in all of those places. We are Miami Hurricanes 365 days a year. Uh, so we have all kinds of stuff for you guys. We have game previews, player profiles. Um, all kinds of things. We've done non-revenue sports. We've done non-football stories. Uh, and we try to bring you the absolute best in Miami Hurricanes commentary and analysis that you will find anywhere. So please, please come on over to stateoftheu.com and fan with us. We would love to have everybody, even if you're one of the rivals from any of these teams that we're playing throughout this year, please come on over and see the other side of the conversation. I do the same thing with you guys' SB Nation sites and other sites as well when they reach out to me. So, you know, we do try to uh, present ourselves well. We try to represent ourselves uh, with, with honor and decorum as well uh, and give you the absolute best. So uh, just like, you know, Joey said, we do try to be uh, very knowledgeable about our Miami Hurricanes, and those are all the places you can come find us. So if you don't get anything else from my spiel, stateoftheu.com, come fan with us. Do it. Highly recommended. There's, again, nobody that covers Miami better, so go, go check those guys out for sure. Uh, Cam, thank you so much. We'd love to have you on sometime soon, and uh, always a pleasure having you on with us. Definitely, and I'm a little upset because we were focused on Miami and there's no games, so I didn't get my Brian Van Gorder go ACC moment of the week this week, but when I come back, we'll have one. We'll have one. He'll be ready to rock. (laughs) Cam, you know that we're a Bowling Green football podcast now too, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, so when are we going to do that? (laughs) Take a second there. Did you do it already? Oh, it dropped this afternoon. Oh! We recorded on. Uh, we recorded it last oh, week. I missed it. We got our Bowling Green football preview podcast. It is out. It is live. So go check that out. It's on the. Uh, it's on the. I forget what we called it. It was like the auxiliary preview yeah, podcast and, or something. And also, full disclosure, I had been drinking, so you know, just <laughs> slip that in there. Um, I mean, that's drinking makes the best podcasting. But I'll definitely check that out, and I will love to, you know, talk some Bowling Green. Um, was they flying Falcons or something? The Falcons, yeah. Yeah, the Falcons. We'll talk to them. And they got those, those terrible colors, doo-doo brown and, green, uh, and orange. So we'll talk about that next time I'm on as well. I'm going to hold my tongue here. Uh, <laughs> Cam, appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you sometime soon. Hey, anytime, guys. Anytime. All right. All right, Mike. Well, that's Cam Underwood. Uh, once again, go reach him at thestateoftheu.com on uh, the SB Nation Network, at Underwood Sports on Twitter uh, for all of your Miami coverage. 
we got to get out of here. We got a couple more teams we got to preview, and then we've got week zero action that we got to preview. Um, so check that out again. We'll, we'll be previewing the Miami Florida game here in the uh, days leading up to that. So keep it tuned here and check it out as we are getting really, really close to the college football season. Uh, we we are going to get out of here. Uh, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, go find him at Underwood Sports and at the State of the U on Twitter for all of your Miami coverage from Mr. Cam Underwood. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, the SoundCloud. No, not on SoundCloud anymore. Man, I played myself. Rip. Played myself. Breaker, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Uh, they can send us with their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do that. Please do that. We, we really appreciate those who have. Um, and then Mike, I think that's all I got. I'm, I'm really nailing the, uh, the outro here. So, uh, anything else before we get out of here? I think we'll quit while we're ahead. We should probably definitely quit while we're ahead. You want to come back and preview these last couple teams? We're almost done, Joey. Almost done. We got to finish, finish the drill here. So we're, we're going to do that. Uh, keep it, keep it tuned here and you'll find those here in the next couple of days. And then it'll be on to uh, week zero. Coming up. Man, quick. It is coming up very quick, coming up very quick and, and not a moment too soon. Um, all right, Mike, we are going to get out of here and we will preview those last two teams and, and we'll be back later. But in any, in any case, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and for Mr. Cam Underwood, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.